great time of the year. And I want us to take our Bibles, if we would, and let's turn to the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and while you're turning there, also kind of look to the Old Testament, uh, to the verse that we're going to really break down and look at over the next four weeks. There are four incredible names attributed to Jesus in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at these four names of Jesus, and we're going to look at these four names from four separate perspectives. We're going to look at them from these glorious testimonies about the life and times of Jesus known as the Gospels. How many Gospels do we have? Wasn't that an easy Bible question to begin with? You need to know there's four Gospels. You ever wonder why there's four Gospels? It's kind of interesting. There's four corners of the earth. Four is just a really critical number in the Bible representing uh, uh, the world and the created order. And when you go to heaven, I'm going to mention this next week. If you were to go to heaven right now, Ezekiel 1 Revelation 4 describes the fact that the throne of God is surrounded by four living creatures. One has the face of, well, they all have these four faces, the face of a man, the face of a calf, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, and they're just, they're, they're surrounding the throne of God, proclaiming his creative ability, the, proclaiming his glory. And you know what they're singing, constantly singing, holy, holy, holy. And then when we, then if you're in heaven right now, you know, when you look at God and you listen to these four creatures declare the beauty and glory of the father, it says that those 24 elders and the people surrounding the throne just fall down and worship God. And I do think it's very significant, not a coincidence, not an accident that we have four gospels that surround and look at Jesus from four unique perspectives. Matthew, who was one of the disciples, who was a tax collector, who was saved out of just being uh, hated as a Jew. No one would have associated with him. And this Savior came and took on his sin. He entered into uh, the lives of sinners like Matthew, and he called Matthew to come and follow him. And then he called another disciple by the name of John, who was a Jew. He was a fisherman. He was a good guy. And, and he called John, but John looks at Jesus from a unique perspective. And we'll see that as in the next coming week. And then you have Mark, who, who was not one of the original disciples, but who transferred to us, who we believe Peter gave all of his descriptions and all of his interaction with Jesus through Mark. And then there's the great uh, Gentile writer who was not one of the original disciples, but Dr. Luke, who is a great historian. All four surround Jesus and give us a beautiful panoramic 3D visual of our great Savior. And I do not think it is a coincidence that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says that unto us a child is born. In fact, let's read it together. Can we read this together? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four, gl four glorious 
things that you will experience when you come to know the son that has been given us. We're going to explore those four names. And we're going to explore them from the four different angles. We're going to look at wonderful counsel this morning from this man, Matthew, who the Holy Spirit used to bring us this tremendous gospel that shows that Jesus was the fulfillment, the fulfillment of the promise in the Old Testament that King David would have a literal descendant who would take the throne and who would be an eternal king. The son of David turned out to be the, the uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Matthew brings this great apologetic to the Jewish people. And he says, look, he was fully human. He was a man. He lived among us. He is our Messiah. He is the promised one. We beheld his glory. And so these four gospels just surround Jesus. They examine Jesus and they proclaim him Messiah. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it's interesting where that, that promise of Isaiah sits in that prophet's message. At the beginning of this chapter, it's a very dark time in Israel's history. Assyria is gathering. Uh, the enemies are surrounding them. The people are immoral There's a lot of false worship. And God is calling upon the people of Israel a time of intense judgment. A time that will destroy ultimately the northern kingdom of Israel. But God comes into the darkness that Israel is facing. He comes into their darkness and he says, listen, I know it's dark, but I'm going to bring my son. I'm going to bring a child, and he's going to be born. And here's what you need to know about him. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a king, but he is going to be a wonderful counselor. I don't know about you, but I need counseling often. Any of y'all ever need any counseling? You know, I'm not just even talking about paid counseling, and I'm all for that. There are people who are trained and ready, in particular those Christian counselors who from a biblical perspective can just sit. And you know what they can do? They can give you perspective. They can help you see things you can't see. They can help, you know, help you clear up some thoughts, and you've gotten stuck in a rut and some wrong thinking. And so there's a place for Christian counseling. And there's a lot of counseling. My wife counsels me. Sometimes I don't like her counsel, but she counsels me. My parents help me. They counsel me, you know. Some of my staff counsel me. Some of you are are, are brothers and sisters in the Lord. I mean, you just bring counsel to me. Counsel is of value. And and we, you know, we live in in a counseling society. And um, we should not be ashamed of our need. We need counseling. And the Bible says that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. But he's not just a counselor in terms of being that friend. You know, I love all those friend songs. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus, you know, friend of God. There's some great hymns, some great songs. And I know Jesus is my friend. But unlike my other friends, he's also my king. He is my Lord. He's my master. And so the term counselor is from this perspective of guiding and ruling and leading. It's not just simply comforting. He does comfort us, but it's the other attribute that is added to this. He is wonderful, 
wonderful. Why is he a wonderful counselor? I've met a lot of wonderful counselors in my life, people who have been just great sources of wisdom and encouragement. But you need to know Jesus as your wonderful counselor. What makes him so wonderful? I want to explore that in the Gospel of Matthew. So turn to Matthew chapter 4. I think you're right there. And here's why I picked Matthew chapter 4. It's one of the first uh, lessons and stories that Matthew gives us. He gives us the lineage of Jesus, that he came through Solomon, that he was a, a son of David. He came out of Adam through Solomon. He was fully a human being. And then he's endorsed at his baptism by John the Baptist and the voice of the Father from heaven. But there's something unique about this next story that I think brings to light and really helps us understand why Jesus is uniquely a wonderful counselor for you and I. It says, then Jesus was led up out of the waters of the Jordan, out of his baptism. He's starting his ministry. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, he leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by who? By the devil. So he goes into a time of testing and temptation. And so he's fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights and I always love this verse. It says he was hungry. I'm like, duh, really? 40 days and 40 nights. But I'm glad he added he was hungry because sometimes we think Jesus was not quite human. We think that we are hungry and we have desires and we have struggles and we have weaknesses, but Jesus must not have understood any of these. No, Matthew makes it very clear he was hungry. He was fully, fully human he was hungry and it was in that hunger that physical exhaustion that great i mean i i after three or four hours i'm hungry i can't imagine 40 days sometimes i get hangry you ever been hangry you know and i just can't imagine at what point does it move from hangry to really really hungry and jesus is hungry but in so many ways, Jesus knows where he's heading. He's not just hungry for bread. He, is, he, he sees the cross off in the distance. He sees uh, where he's heading. He sees the hour of his betrayal and the hour of his crucifixion. He has laid out before him this life. He sees the good and the bad like you and I can't. And, but in his full humanity, he has great need. And it's in this moment of weakness, this moment of need that he is tested. But he's tested just like you and me. He's tested in this time of weakness. And you know these tests. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard a hundred sermons on, this, on this, this passage. He comes and he attacks Jesus from three different angles. He comes towards his fleshly weakness. And look at verse 3. The tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Man, if I'd been in his position, I think I would have, and had the power, I think I would have instantly had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I would have made it into one of those soft Wonder Bread deals. But Jesus looked at the tempter 
This is so much bigger temptation for Jesus and for us than just feeding others. The temptation was to misuse his power. His temptation, the temptation was to get outside of God's will and to subvert the direction and authority of the Father. And you and I are tempted to do that all the time. And it, it comes through our fleshly desires and our fleshlinesses. And we get tired and we get down and we get discouraged and depressed. It is in those times the tempter really comes. But it is in those times, here's what you can know. Jesus can identify. Jesus has been there and done that. Jesus has walked in your shoes. But look how Jesus counseled the devil. I love this interchange. We have the wonderful counselor and the wicked counselor in the same passage. By the way, we walk around with those two counselors all the time. All the time, you are being given false, wicked counseling. Your your, your body's giving you bad counsel a lot of times. Your own broken mind is giving you bad counseling. Then you're surrounded by a culture that is telling you often to do exactly the opposite of what God wants you to do. And you have friends and family that are good intentioned but are imperfect counselors and sometimes counseling you out of their fleshliness and out of their brokenness. And so we have to be very vigilant not to fall to wicked counseling. Where do we turn In light of all the wicked counseling, we must have a wonderful counselor. We do in Jesus because he can identify he's been there when he's hungry. He's been there when the temptation is to be prideful and to defend yourself and to take what you feel like you really deserve. You're tired of people not treating you the way you should be treated. Jesus knows that. Look at this next temptation. Verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And it's really not if, it's since. Since you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. I'm I'm afraid I might have taken that temptation because, listen, I could get everybody to worship me if I would jump off of this and I know the angels would catch me. All of that fanfare, instantly people would know who I am. I I could go around this whole cross, death, crucifixion, business. Let's just get right beyond it. Why do I have to humble myself? Why do I have to be stripped and beaten and hung on a cross. That's not the way the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, should ever be treated. And he was tested in his pride. He was tested in his flesh. But look how he responded both times. When he was responded, when he was tested with the bread, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When he was tested in his pride, he says this, devil, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, hey, Jesus, all these I'll give you. We can just settle this right now. I'll give you a bunch of these kingdoms. We'll just kind of rule together. Just bow down. 
partner up with me, it's going to be an easier ride. And a lot of us, a lot of us will fall into that wicked counsel, make a deal with the devil, and we'll partner with, with things and, and, and people we should not, and we end up facing a high penalty. But Jesus, look, he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Very quickly, let me point out, four, over this Christmas season, would you reflect on these four truths? Here's why Jesus, and only Jesus, is our wonderful counselor. See, only Jesus can truly, fully identify with your struggle. He knows it. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4, or Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. The author of Hebrews gets it. Listen to what he says. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers. He had to be born a son, born a child, raised a human being. He had to be made like his brothers in how many respects? In every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Since he suffered under test, he can come to your aid and counsel you when you're testing. How many of you, church, have been tested recently? He's there. He can sympathize. And he doesn't just sympathize. There's a a more powerful word. I love the word empathize. He can put himself in your shoes because he's been there and he can help you. He's a wonderful counselor. And listen, there are people who can empathize and sympathize with you. I can put myself in your shoes. I've been a human being just like you and I know some of your struggles, but I can't fully get behind the curtain of your eyeballs and your mind and I can't know you fully, and you can't know me fully. We're complicated, and we're hidden behind these shells. But listen, Jesus knows every fiber of your personality and your being. He knows what's best for you. He is a wonderful counselor. He not only identifies, he can perfectly and fully identify with you. Will you trust Jesus? think the church is brought around us we have life groups that's why i just press this so much christian god's designed the gathering of believers the church as he's designed us to be surrounded with little jesus people to speak truth into our broken hearts and our broken minds if we don't have one another we're missing that aspect of jesus a lot of people, when we isolate ourselves and we go lonely and we, go, uh, we just kind of be, be lone wolf Christians and we just say, it's between me and God, you're missing a lot of Jesus' counsel that he has to you through your pastor and your, and your fellow believers and your, your life group leaders. There is, there is counsel to be brought to bear through the body of Christ to me and to you. We need one another. And the Holy Spirit comes into you to do that. So Jesus is a perfect perfect counselor because he can identify and and here's the second thing he is only jesus is a truly wonderful counselor because he's the only counselor who has ever fully 
perfectly lived out his own counsel. That is one of the continual frustrations of being a preacher of the word of God. <laughs> I wish I could stand here and say, hey, listen, I got this. I've, I have 100% obeyed everything I've ever encouraged you to do. I have been sinless. How many of you would believe that? Say amen. Ooh, silence. I could get up here and say, well, you know, I'm not half bad. Jesus humbly stands for us in, in, this, in this testing. He never failed. He never sinned. He was a perfect high priest, tested, yet perfect. He, gave, he gives perfect advice, and then he lives it out perfectly. We see in Jesus a model. All four of these gospels look at Jesus, and you know what they all say about Jesus? From this angle, this angle, this angle, they've, they've done a full body full life inspection of Jesus like the little place at the airport you have to go through now, you know, that you stand and wave and does the whole body scan. Y'all been to the airport lately? But anyway, it gives this whole body scan. The gospels point to Jesus and we see a sinless, perfect life. He was the fulfillment of what humanity was meant to be. You want to know how to be a man. You want to know how to be a human. Look at Jesus. You want to know how to live your life, listen to Jesus. He's a wonderful guide, a wonderful counselor. He doesn't just tell us what the books tell us to do. He came into our life incarnationally and demonstrated how to do it, and he did it. He did it. Let me tell you another thing about Jesus. You can find some great counselors in this world and you can find some, some uh, friends and pastors and all sorts of folks that maybe give you some good, good counsel from the biblical worldview, but I would never be able to stand. I don't think anybody could ever stand and I hope no parent could ever be able to stand and say that every single utterance of my mouth has been flawless. Never have I guided you incorrectly. Never have I slipped Never have I given a piece of advice. Never have I given a command that had any error in it. One man can say that, the Lord Jesus. His word was perfect. It was true. It still is. What we have right here in the word of God is true. Flawless. He communicates perfect wisdom every time. Every time. We see it in this, uh, this test. Every time he's given wicked counsel, Jesus comes back with wonderful counsel. He says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, you shall worship and serve only God. It is written. He brings perfect counsel to bear against the wicked counsel of the world. Can I just tell you this though? Sometimes his counsel is counterintuitive. You know what that means? Let me just give you an example. In the book of Matthew, he gives us this incredible sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Every perfect, every part of it is perfect. Every jot and tittle, everything that he says. And then we get to the part where he says, the world says an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. And we're like, yes. 
The world says, the wicked counsel would say, listen, when somebody strikes you, you strike them back. But I, the wonderful counselor, I know what it's like to be slapped. I know what it's like to be whipped. I know what it's like to be mistreated. And I'm still telling you, it's counterintuitive. Turn the other cheek. It's counterintuitive. He asks for your tunic, give him your cloak. It's counterintuitive. He asks you to carry that Roman soldier, asks you to carry all of that stuff for a mile, which was required. Carry it another mile. It's counterintuitive, but it's wise counsel. It's perfect. Why is it important to know these things? Look at Matthew chapter 7, and then I'm going to draw this to a close. Would you look there real quick? Matthew chapter 7. Here's what Jesus, our wonderful counselor, says about his, his words, his advice, his guidance. He says, all right, you sit, you sat, and le- listen, He's just given counsel to thousands of people on the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, just given this magnificent sermon, and he said strange things to them. You have heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, I'm going to give you wonderful counsel. Listen, if you have even thought it in your heart, you have sinned in the same way. He's exposing, he's unveiling our hearts. He's getting beneath the flesh and he's revealing us. And then he gives us these kind of commands. He says, you need to deal radically with sin in your life. As if if your eye was calling you to sin, here's how radical. Pluck that eye out. That's how radical you ought to deal with sin. So he gives all of these words, but listen what he says about his counsel. Everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I read that verse intentionally wrong. What did I leave out? Let me read it again, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. Verse 24. Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it so he says listen trust me if you'll trust my words if you'll follow my advice if you'll follow my commands listen if you'll deal with sin the way i've shared with you how to deal with sin When the storm comes, you're going to fall. When the judgment comes, you're going to stand. When the storm comes, you're going to survive. You're going to do well. Listen to verse 28. These folks got it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his what? His teaching, his words. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You can trust Jesus. Trust his counsel. It's wonderful because it's perfect every single day. But I want to tell you the final reason why Jesus is not like no other 
like no other counselor. Jesus does something that no one else can do. He can actually change you. He can actually heal your heart, your mind. Now, I know good counselors, and there's medicines that can help. There's all sorts of things we can do, but nobody can make you new. He can make you new. If any man is in Christ, he is a what kind of creature? He's a new creature, new in your spirit. And then he can do something that is remarkable. He can transform your mind. Over time, he sanctifies you. He can cleanse you. He can draw you. If you will just listen to his perfect counsel, lean on his perfect understanding, cry out to him in your time of need, trust your heart and your life to him. He can do something in you that no other counselor can do. He's a wonderful counselor. Listen to Romans 8. Romans 8, here's what he can do. Therefore, there is now, and by the way, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. All the advice in the world, all the laws in the world could not fix you. But by sending his own son, born in a manger, in the likeness of sinful flesh, raised a man, perfect, sinless, he condemned sin in the flesh. Watch this. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled where, church? In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus does something nobody else can do. And he does it for the glory of his heavenly father. So he's standing with his friends. I can't imagine. Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus for several years? Man, and listening to him teach. How many times, I mean, just walking down the street with Peter, John, Andrew, just say, hey, Jesus, I got this problem. <laughs> I got this issue. What's your advice? Can you imagine being advised by the Lord Jesus, sitting at his feet? What a glorious thing. But you know what Jesus told his disciples? He said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to the Father. And they said, no, don't, please don't leave us. You're, you're our counselor. You're a wonderful counselor. He says, I got something better. When I go to the Father, I'm going to send another counselor. Who is that, church? The Holy Spirit. He says, this is better. I have been with you. He will be in you. He will heal you, empower you you to live out my command to become the kind of person you're designed and called to be when we take the lord's supper it is just a it's just a beautiful demonstration of what jesus promised us he says when i go i can come my spirit will come and be in you 
and I will heal you. By my stripes you are healed. By my death on the cross and resurrection, you find true healing and true life. 